Well, it is Resurrection Sunday, and this is our study, our Resurrection Sunday study for 2023, and our text we have agreed is Romans chapter 8, verses, where did we decide to start? I thought we decided uh, verse 1. Oh, through the whole chapter? Okay. I don't know. Yeah. But will you do <laughs> for everyone else who's listening what you did for me this morning and give us a run-up to what the therefore is there for? Well, yeah. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us some, some, an over, kind of an overview of the resurrection, uh, this issue of the resurrection. I, um, I must say that I was up early this morning and... Uh, over, just did an overview of the gospel accounts of the resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I did a kind of a chapter by chapter review of the issue or the doctrine or the teaching of the resurrection uh, as it's found in the book of Acts. I was really impressed with just how much the resurrection dominates the teaching of the New Testament, as it should. It's not surprising, of course, but it is impressive that, that the resurrection is so vital, so integral to the teaching of the New Testament to the point where, in fact, without the resurrection, and I'm talking about the bodily resurrection of Christ, without it, we would have no New Testament. Without the resurrection, then we'd have no salvation. For instance, let me just give you an idea here. In the book of Acts, I saw that the um, resurrection came up. One, two, three, four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen times in twenty-eight chapters. So it's, it's a theme that runs through the book of Acts, beginning with the Lord's um, instruction to the apostles. The, to the disciples not to leave Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 until they received the um, uh, the gift, the promise of the Father, which of course was the Holy Spirit, to empower them. The power, right. The power, the power. They were inquiring as to whether or not he would restore the kingdom at that time. And what the, I'm sure what they were wondering, what will be our role in that? You know, what, what does this all mean? that you were crucified, that you were risen, and that you are now with us. And from what we can understand, you're about to ascend back to the Father. You're returning to the Father. Is it now that you restore the kingdom? In other words, what, what, what will be our role in this? The, the literal kingdom be restored to Israel at this time? And of course... The risen Christ tells them, it's not for you to know the times in which the Father has placed in his power. Let me turn there real quick. It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. If you're wondering what your role and your power, your authority is going to be, and if you thought that was connected to the uh, restoration of the literal kingdom, 
rest assured you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will happen? You will be my witnesses. That's your role. So, we talk a lot about evangelism. We talk about witnessing. Mm -hmm. But we aren't witnesses. <laughs> None of us here today, and nobody listening to my voice, ever witnessed the res resurrected Lord. Now, there are those people in the world today who say, well, you know, I've seen Jesus. But that's doubtful. There were hundreds of witnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. He's speaking particularly here to 12 of them, or 11 of them at this point, I should say. And so, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say the whole church will be my witnesses because they weren't. He didn't say that the church throughout history will be my witnesses except through the apostles. The apostles had a unique and special place in God's redemptive plan. So they do have, what they were asking is, what is our role? What is our, what is our, what do we do here now? And their role was to be witnesses to the fact that he had risen from the dead. Mm -hmm. As well as the 500, approximately, who also saw him after he was raised. But the 11 here have a specific witness to offer because they are about to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, to empower that witness so that they can go and speak to the world and saying, we are Christ's appointed witnesses. We saw him. Remember, the requirement for being an apostle was that you saw the risen Lord. You were taught directly by the risen Lord. And so these were men, that's why Paul spent years with Jesus alone in the desert, being taught. <laughs> he was an apostle. He referred to himself as if one who was born out of time. <laughs> he was born late into the family. So, okay. So, um, Acts chapter 1 is really the beginning of the works of the resurrected Christ into the world. And he began his work into the world by doing what? By promising his witnesses, his 12, his disciples, whom he spent three years teaching, training, that they will now go to the next phase and be empowered. Not just to, to know what, he was, what they were taught, but to remember what they remember, that's one of the ministries of the Spirit, was to bring back to their minds mm -hmm. things that he had said. And then to empower that witness. So that we are witnesses. You and I, we are witnesses today to Jesus. But it's not an autonomous witness. We don't have an autonomous, this is what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. We don't have an autonomous witness apart from the disciples. Our witness is an apostolic witness. That's so relieving. Mm -hmm. Because many throughout history, like Joseph Smith and other cult leaders, have insisted that they received a special revelation apart from the disciples, apart from the apostles. A, a, a supra-apostolic revelation 
And people believe them. And people believe them, right. And that happens today in the charismatic world. You know, the, the new apostolic reformation, as they call it, which is just a hoax, uh, centered on Bill Johnson down in Redding, California, and, and the International House of Prayer, and, and these guys... They all believe that they have a special revelation, that this is, they even tease clearly, unashamedly, that the Bible, especially the New Testament, is the old word of God. But they have a new, fresh word of God. And while they value and respect the old word, people really need to be listening to them, the new word. And they call it the New Apostolic Reformation because these guys really believe, these men and women, really believe that they are apostles. <laughs> what we have to be clear about, what we have to stand for, what we have to be vehement against is this notion that there are apostles. Now, we can use the apostle, word apostle loosely as someone who's a messenger, a, mission, a missionary. But there are, only, there are only 12 apostles. And if you include Matthias and um, Paul, you know, there were 13, I guess. <laughs> but there were only, he only called 12. There was some question as to what, even though they drew straws and they picked Matthias to, to uh, replace uh, Judas, what good he was, <laughs> or whether he, there's no record he ever did anything. So some people think that Paul was actually Judas's replacement. Mm -hmm. So anyway, my point is is that there's an apostolic witness that is singular, unique, exclusive, and one important word: final. There's no more revelation to come. It's right in front of us in the pages of this book. And we are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to keep us uh, illuminated, informed, and guided. And he does. He's faithful to do that. And that's what we're doing this morning. So, um, that's a long opening remark. but a long was, lead up to therefore. Yeah, right. But necessary, so thank you. Mm-hmm. So let me just begin by building a little bit more context because how important is context to scripture, reading scripture? It's crucial. Yeah. The first rule of context, I was taught in Bible college, the first, first rule of context is that context what? Rules. Rules, yes. So the... Resurrection is a theme throughout the letter of Romans. Without the resurrection, what do we know? By the way, let's start with this. What do we know about the resurrection before we get into our text? So we're going to talk a little bit about what we know about the resurrection. We're going to do a, quick, a real brief overview of Romans as it refers to the resurrection. And then we'll get down to our therefore. Our, our four questions. We have four questions to answer this morning as to how uh, how the resurrection answers those four questions that Paul asks in Romans 8 towards the end of the chapter. Okay? So let's ask that question. 
What do we know about the resurrection this morning? Before we even get into the text. That Jesus rose bodily. Yes, it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't a revive. He was truly dead, first of all. He truly died. Mm -hmm. And that it wasn't, so it wasn't a revival or resuscitation. Mm -hmm. It was a true resurrection. It was a physical bodily resurrection. Mm -hmm. We remember what he told Thomas, right? Here, put your finger in my hands and in my side. And then later he ate a piece of fish. Those are things that people with a physical body do. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was raised with a glorified body, mm -hmm. which we all have the hope for now because of he, he was. We will all have that same glorified body one day, but we don't now. But it was nonetheless a physical body. So... And despite what my seminary professor stood in front of the class and said, you know, you don't have to believe in the bodily resurrection to be a Christian. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do, Dr. Uh, Dr. Friesen. Yes, yes, you do. And thankfully, there were other students in the classroom who raised their hand and said, what are you talking about? How could you say that? I mean... Uh, without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, we too will not be bodily resurrected. Mm -hmm. Everything just becomes an ethereal type of spooky uh, uh, spirit res spiritual resurrection without a physical resurrection. Well, if we have a spiritual resurrection without a bodily resurrection, we're toast. If when we die, we stay in the grave, and, the, and that's the end of our physicality, then we're just floating around in, in the ethereal universe someplace. I mean, I have said before, and I'll say it again, when that professor said that, I thought that had to be one of the stupidest things I have ever heard. Not just theologically unsound. It was really quite stupid. You can't, you can't have Christianity without that element of it. Right. What we're here for today yes and it's the reason we're here yeah not someplace else right right yeah i i wouldn't I, yeah right okay okay romans 1 4 and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of god in power by his resurrection from the dead jesus christ our lord that's romans 1 4 speaking of jesus he speaks, first of all, about his humanity in verse 2 of Romans 1. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. So in verse 2 and 3, Paul begins by saying Jesus was very human. Mm -hmm. He had an earthly life. He had an earthly descent, mm -hmm. descendants. And so, and then in verse 4, he says, And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it was, he died as a man and he rose in his deity. And so there was, 
Uh, it's important, important to understand both of those things came together. If Jesus was only a man, he would have suffered and died and stayed dead. Mm -hmm. But because he was also the Son of God, death could not hold him. And so he was raised from the dead. Uh, and, and so he, I'm trying to think how Gershner says it, he, he died as a man, he lived as a man, and died as, God, as the Son of God, and therefore death couldn't hold him. So, both of those things come together here. The point is, is that Paul is using the resurrection to affirm his deity, but also to affirm his, his, his um, uh, humanity. So the humanity and his deity come together here mm -hmm. in the opening verses of Romans. Okay, and then 4.24, we'll just pick this up briefly here so we can just get a good context. 424, uh, he says, let's go to verse 23. The words that was credited to him, speaking about justification by uh, faith, speaking of Abraham, the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, which is good. Yep. But he was raised to life for our justification, which is better. Awesome. <laughs> Without him being raised to life, there would be no justification. So our justification before God, our made acceptable to God, to God is tied to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. He atoned for our sins past, present, and yes, future, mm -hmm. eternally forgiven. Mm -hmm. he, but that was affirmed as being acceptable to God, that atonement, by the resurrection. And without the resurrection, we would have no idea whether or not God ever accepted that atonement. So the resurrection is our uh, divine witness to the fact that God accepted the atonement. That's so powerful. That's so beautiful. Your sins are utterly... It was like God saying the divine yes. Mm -hmm. Jesus bled and died at Calvary for our sins. He offered the supreme atonement. And the resurrection was God saying, yes, I accept that. Fully. Completely. Totally. No other penance necessary. No other sacrifices ever necessary. No other form of any kind of reconciliation ever necessary again. A full and final atonement affirmed and are, we are justified. That's why it's so heinous to try to seek justification with God apart from the work of Christ. If we try to add our works to that, Okay, well, those are good works, Jesus. Good job. And now we're going to add our works to it just to make sure, ensure that it was acceptable by God so that we will be justified one day. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say there that we was raised to a life for our justification on the day of judgment. He said for our justification now mm -hmm. in the present. Mm -hmm. Okay, 510. 
For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? His life being his resurrected life. Chapter 6, verse 4. We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So what do we hear there? We say we have new life in Jesus. What's the basis for that? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too also, in conjunction, in union with him, may have new life. So what's the quality of the new life that we have? It's in him. It's in him, right. Yeah. And it's resurrection life. It isn't just a cleaned up, sanitized new life. It isn't like, well, I was a low life, fallen down, drunk one day, and now I've just decided to clean myself up and become a good, sanitized churchgoer. That's not what Paul's saying here. We've been given new life, but it isn't just a better life. It's new life as opposed to death. And it's divine life. It's supernatural life. It's life that's empowered in us by the Spirit and is equal to the life of Jesus and brought about by the same power that raised him from the dead. Mm -hmm. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Which is the ultimate power. The ultimate power. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, we're getting through this here. Uh, 7, chapter 7. Um, bum, 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 bum. I think we'll skip that part because that's a little lengthy and we're burning the candle here. So let's let's look at 8.11 now. We're getting back into our text. 8.11 And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also what? Give life to your mortal bodies. Yes. Because of his spirit who lives in you. Yes. So the fact that we will be given new, uh, we have mortal bodies today. We will have immortal bodies then. But even today, our bodies enjoy the benefit of his spirit dwelling within us. We get life. We'll also give life to our mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We are Our, our outer man is wasting away. Our new inner man is being renewed daily. But, but even by the very virtue of the fact that the spirit dwells in us, we are better off even in these physical bodies than if we weren't. And then down to verse 34... 
No, I'm sorry. We want to hold on that for a minute. Okay. So let's look at our four questions now. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Our four questions. And those come to us at Romans 8, 31 through 36. And the context for those is the golden chain that begins in verse 28. You want to read that? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and <coughs> sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Yeah. We call that the golden chain, don't we? <clears throat> and it's all in past tense. It's all a done deal. All done. Uh, both our predestination, our calling, our justification, and even our glorification is certain. Mm -hmm. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can lose. It's not something we can add to. It's not something we can enhance. It's not something that if we do a bunch of good deeds here, we're going to get a greater reward. Uh, it's, 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 it's not probationary in any sense whatsoever. Why is that important? Because the religious mind defaults to a probationary relationship with salvation in Christ. Which is based on me. Right. Yes. Yes. Remember, what's so counterintuitive to the gospel is that the religious mind of the flesh, the religious impulse of the flesh, insists that our contribution, that the, first of all, that there be a contribution. We make a contribution to our own salvation. Mm -hmm. And not only do we insist that there be something we do, a contribution that we make, even with God's help, based upon Christ's death and resurrection, absolutely, based upon grace, oh, certainly. Well, through faith, oh, we love faith. But we must make a vital, necessary contribution as well, without which God can't save us. Regardless of what Christ has done, regardless of grace, regardless of faith, there's still a role for us, a vital, necessary contribution, apart from which God will not and cannot save us. And of course, there is something we do in response. We do act in faith. But what do we know about faith? What's the first thing we understand about faith? Is that it's a gift. Is that it's a gift. That's right. Even the gift, even the faith, the very faith by which we respond and, and, and come into union with Christ is a gift. It's not something I conjured up myself. Right. It's not something you contribute. I can't. Right. So there are those today, and I was taught at one time that 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 Christ has done all He can do, and that it's up to me now, and that my responsibility is to have faith. 
this is this is the wound psychologically and spiritually of the charismania days is that it's my job to have faith and faith is my work faith is my job i'm going to drum it up i'm to work to increase my faith faith is my responsibility faith is the work that i they wouldn't say work because that's too shameless they would say faith is what i do to complete the circle if you will in other words, it's... So they just define work instead of call it work. Right, right, right. yeah. And in the hyper-charismatic world, they refer to faith as a force. So it isn't even a connection of union with Christ. It's a, a Faith is just something that just kind of lingers out there, and we lay hold of it out there, reach out and grab it and bring it in. So what's important to understand here is that, that the, the, our salvation is of the Lord period our our calling our predestination our we could no more predestinate ourselves than we could call ourselves mm -hmm. we could no more call ourselves than we could justify ourselves mm -hmm. and we can no more justify ourselves than we will be able to glorify ourselves mm -hmm. so we are in a glorified state with christ in him now this is really i mean it, it, this can blow your socks off when you begin to realize the positional state that we have in Jesus Christ and his current raised and seated at the right hand of the Father state. We are in union with him. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're going to be in union with him. We are in union with him. Mm -hmm. We died because he died. We were raised because he was raised. And we are sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because he. because he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. What tense is that in? Past. Past tense, yes. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, another past tense, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, future tense, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we are glorified now with the risen Christ. That's why it's important that we understand his resurrection to be a bodily resurrection. Because it's a human resurrection. It's a human resurrection, though it is a human glorified body, mm -hmm. a glorified human body. So there Paul just preaches the gospel in four verses. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He didn't say, we hope you do. If you do the right stuff. <laughs> you better. You better. If you tithe. If you keep up in your tithes. If you attend church regularly. If you do all the stuff you're supposed to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving. There's nothing wrong with going to church. There's nothing wrong with being part of a healthy fellowship. It's commanded, in fact. But that's not the point. We don't do those things in order to ensure our 
glorification down the road. We do those things because of our glorification down the road. He's saying because you are raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's the cure for worldliness. What is? To recognize that you no longer belong to this world. You've been raised with Christ. Seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Which is where humanity was always intended to be, by the way. Mm -hmm. When God created man, it was to be his right hand. At his right hand. Positionally and in power and his creation. We are the only creatures that can reason. Can, the, the image of God wasn't fully shattered at, at, at the fall. It was just twisted. It was just distorted. So we can still reason. Even the worst sinner can reason. They can still think. But all of that's restored to us now. Okay, so let's get to our, our, our four questions then and wrap this up. <clears throat> First, what then shall we say in response to these things? That's the question. Mm -hmm. And he gives the answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So what's, what's the answer to that question? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's our first question. Just hanging there. If God is for us, who can be against us? So tomorrow morning when you get up and you're ready to face your day, if somebody says to you, um, if God is for you, who can be against you today? What's the answer? Anyone who believes that self-will <laughs> propels me. Well, that's right? true. Yeah, the, 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 the legitimate answer is no one can be against you. The stubborn answer by the world, the flesh, and the devil right. is that they're going to try. They absolutely yes. will. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And, and that's a great point. That's a great point. Because although legitimately no one can be against you, the devil doesn't worry about being legitimate no he's a liar from the beginning right the world doesn't worry about being legitimate or what god thinks they're going to oppose you and the flesh doesn't think about being legitimate it's going to tempt you mm -hmm. it's going to lure you right yeah and your own thinking our own thinking there's 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 unresolved trauma there's there's doubt yeah, a doubt, habitual way of thinking. Yep. There are things that are against us. Mm -hmm. They are against us. So the, the they just don't hold a greater power. Right. That's the point. Right. Right. Exactly. That's right. So the so it circles back to them. If God is for us, who can be against us? The truth is, none of those things. Mm -hmm. None of those things. It's not that there's no one against this. Why would he say that? Why would he even ask that question if it didn't imply that there are those who think they can come against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If there wasn't anybody trying to come, or anything, or person, place, or thing, trying to come against us, there would be no reason to ask that question. 
The truth is, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? We have an absolute, complete, and total provision. Mm -hmm. And God forbid that we fall back on self-reliance to answer that question. God forbid we say, well, who's against me? I'll take it on. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to our own resources. We look to the resources he's provided in his son. Yeah. Okay, what's the second question? Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Yes. There's another. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's a progressive set of questions. He, pro he begins with a proposal as to whether or not anyone can come against this. Right. Can be against this. Right, and it seems as though the answer is, there are those who will try. Yeah, and they'll there so there'll be a charge. Yeah. Yeah, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? So, I think I mentioned earlier um, the image of, of a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. Prosecutor says, "I've got evidence. This person's guilty of a crime." So the prosecuting attorney is against you. Mm -hmm. So then he sends the two detectives out to charge you with that crime and to arrest you. Mm -hmm. So you see it in all these detective shows. When the detectives walk up and say, Mr. Bill Johnson, uh, you are under arrest. Or Mr. Betty Lou, you are under arrest. Well, what's the charge? And then they read the charge. So that's the second phase of the progression. Mm -hmm. Someone has something against you, and they're bringing a charge against you. Right, so this yeah. is very legal language here. This is very, uh, for lack of a better word, forensic language mm -hmm. going on here. Mm -hmm. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So... If somebody mentally or spiritually or emotionally or even literally brings a charge against you this week, what is your answer? I'm innocent? No, that's not the answer. I, I'm, I'm going to church weekly. I'm taking part in the sacraments. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I believe that one day I will be justified. So just be patient with me before you charge me. Just be patient with me. I'll prove to you that I'm going to make it one day. That's not the answer either. Mm -mm. What is the answer? What is the answer Paul provides here? Five words. It is God who justifies. In light of God's justification, as James White says, the God who justifies the ungodly. Mm-hmm. It is God who justifies. In light of God's justification, who has more authority? Who has Who's the higher court than God himself? No one. So if it's God who justifies, no one is the answer, can bring a charge against us, a right. legitimate charge. Right. Who then is the one who condemns? So see, there's a progression. The prosecutor says, I have something against you. They arrest you and make, give you. They charge you with something, and then they find you guilty. 
there's not even mention of a trial here. Mm-hmm. They just charge you, arrest you, and then condemn you. Mm-hmm. Who then is the one who condemns? And the NIV pulls this right out of it. It says, no, no one. one. Mm-hmm. No one. On what basis? This is what's really important about this study. On what basis? Right after no one. Christ Jesus who died. Mm-hmm. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding also interceding for us. Yes. So it's that Christ is interceding. Yes. Perpetually. Yes. This is how the resurrection, this is how on Sunday, every year on Resurrection Sunday, we should pause and read these because this is, these are questions. This whole prosecuting attorney, the accuser of the brethren is what the devil's called. Mm-hmm. And the law accuses us. The law says you have done this. Hang up the Ten Commandments in your kitchen. You'll have you'll be a neurotic within six months. You'll look at those Ten Commandments every day and realize that you can't and never have been able to keep them. So if you're approaching God on the basis of the law, it's only going to accuse you. It's not can't excuse you. It cannot provide remedy. So every Resurrection Sunday. We put aside the silly Easter egg hunts, put aside all the spectacle of, uh, of um, orchestrated worship. Bunnies and concerts. Bunnies and concerts. And sit down and read Romans 8, 31 through the end of the chapter together and answer the questions here because Paul's making a final argument. He is a defense attorney. He is arguing here just like in front of the jury. There is, there are those who again. There's no one can bring, bring a charge against this person. There is no one who can condemn this person. And it isn't because they are so good, they are so religious, they are so active in the church, they've done all these good things. It's because of what God has done in His Son, mm-hmm. and because God has raised His Son and seated Him at His right hand. That he ever lives to do what? Intercede. Yes. Make intercession. Yes. Right. But it's per, it's it's ongoing. It's not just a one and done. It's Hallelujah. Yep. Yeah. The resurrection was one and done. Right. And as you pointed out a number of times, he sat down. He sat down. Which means his work is finished. Yes. Doesn't mean he doesn't con- perpetually intercede, but the work is done. The work, yeah, the atoning work is done. Yes. The atoning work was accepted at the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's the important word for the day, too, when it comes to Resurrection Sunday. What happened with the resurrection? It was the divine yes that the atoning work the previous or three days earlier was accepted. Mm-hmm. Fully accepted. Eternally, by the way, mm-hmm. accepted. Mm-hmm. There's never a time that you can outsin the blood of Jesus. If you are God's child, you have been born of the Spirit, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've fallen into, no matter how far you've stumbled, how hard you have fallen, you can't outdo, you can't outsin the atonement. Past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. 
Now, people will be aghast to hear me say that. Well, you're just licensing sin. You're just saying, go ahead and sin, because Christ... See, that's the same argument they used late, earlier with Paul, right? Right. Well, what shall we say then, Paul? Shall we just continue in sin that grace may abound? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then Paul says, you know, the, the people who talk like that, their condemnation is just. Yeah. That's a severe response. He's saying that they, they do not understand the gospel. Correct. And therefore, they themselves, by even making that kind of an accusation, show that they don't understand the gospel mm -hmm. and therefore are in need of the gospel mm -hmm. and are still under condemnation this, themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the underlying premise of that kind of thinking, well, what shall we say, Paul? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The underlying uh, premise is that we have to do something. Clearly, Paul was saying, no, it's all been done. It's all accomplished. Mm -hmm. Salvation is a divine accomplishment, not a human achievement. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, oh, no, 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 this can't be right. Right. If it's all of grace, then there's no rule for us. If there's no rule for us, then, well, I don't understand that. Right. That's really what it comes down to. Right. <clears throat> okay. Final question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These are really important questions because there's part of my mind, my neurosis at times, that believes that there are other answers to these questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Me? Mm -hmm. My thinking? My actions? Mm -mm. My failures? My shortcomings? Mm -mm. My character defects? You know, those are the answers my brain gives. Those are the haunts. Those are the haunts. That's a good word. That's yeah. The haunts. Right, but it's verse 38 that answers that question now, isn't it? 38 through the end of the chapter. Yes. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor life. Right. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, he says in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I remember in Bible college we were studying Romans in class and um, the professor read Romans 8, 37 through 39 and he said, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And then he leaned forward and said, nope, not even you. Most people, he said, read this, get to the end of verse 39 and say, but me. I know all these other things. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on board. I see it. Yeah, I believe the Bible. Oh, yeah. None of these things can separate me from the love of Christ, but I can. And a good, a good Arminian, meaning someone who still believes that free will is the arbitrary uh, factor, is the, is the, what's the word I'm looking for here? The determining factor will say that right. well yeah no none of these things can come between you and the love of christ but you can you know you still have free will you can sin you can still fall away you can that's still the danger of that teaching that's the it? danger of that false teaching Is that yeah. i that i still can tr i can over overpower god yes i can trump god's 
purposes. Yes. <laughs> I don't even use that I word. I don't want that word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can negate God's purposes in my life. That's exactly right. Yeah. I can one-up God. Yes. 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 And that's just twisted. That's twisted and wrong thinking. Yeah. Okay, so what we've determined today is that the bodily resurrection is true. Yes. That it is the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the power that lives in us even now. We have been raised with Christ, and that power even gives life to our present mortal bodies while we await the day when we'll get glorified bodies. And that resurrection is the basis upon which we answer these four questions of those who would say there's a charge against you excuse me there's something against you there's a crime against you this is the charge this is the condemnation see again it's very forensic there's nothing in heaven or earth that can separate us from the love of god in christ jesus as it is written. Not even death, he says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Persecution and even martyrdom does not invalidate our salvation. See, in this new apostolic reformation mindset, if you're not prospering, if you're not absolutely getting healed if you don't if you aren't living the, your best life now and walking in victory then there's something wrong with you they bring that charge there's against something you. wrong with your faith there's something wrong with your faith that's right you don't have enough faith if you have any at all the yeah. accusations are terrifying yes yes and paul's saying here no no even death even persecution even being slaughtered can't separate us from the love of Christ. Exactly. Okay. So, right. Um, in 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Yes. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Yes. So, any religion that's pointing me towards behavior or else yes yes is wrong right it's just plain wrong right well that's what i'm saying we, we can in fact close on that note that that here's 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 the gospel and here's not the gospel here's the gospel the gospel is that of divine accomplishment on our behalf mm -hmm. from beginning to end Right. From faith to faith. Right. Here's not the gospel. You believe in Jesus by grace, through faith, in order that you can be empowered to do those things which are necessary for you to be justified at some point in the future. You can follow our man-made rules. Yes. Yeah, so that you can work towards final acceptance with God. 
you're accepted now. Don't get me wrong. You know, you believe in Jesus. It is by grace and it's through faith. Yes, we understand grace is necessary. Faith is necessary. You got to believe in Jesus. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus. It's just not sufficient. You have to do something. You have to make the contributing vital factor apart from which God will not save you mm -hmm. on that final day. So that you are working throughout your whole life with fear and trembling, not in a godly manner, but in a tormenting manner, for fear that you and the final day are not going to be accepted after all. There's going to be something that you said, something you did, something you don't even remember that God remembers all too well on that day, and you're not going to make it in. Mm -hmm. Because after all, 98% is not a hundred percent and God requires a hundred percent so that's not the gospel but that's the gospel that most Christians live experientially it's what they hear yes. from their pulpits or front right. rooms or whatever right assembly they choose right. to go to right so when Dave Ramsey talks about if you don't tithe or Robert Morris talks about if you don't tithe that a God is going you're going to open up the doors to demons to and to infiltrate your finances and you're going to suffer financially because you didn't obey God by tithing that, that all that all they're doing is saying that yes it's by grace and it's through faith and you believe in Jesus that's all fine and good but between now and that final judgment day there are certain things that you have to do to ensure that that day is on your side fear 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 and what we respond to that is Christ has risen he has risen indeed. He has risen indeed. <laughs> and so because he has risen, none of those things they try to tell us are true. None of those things that they try to lay on us that makes salvation an important word now. Highlight it in your mind. Take a little mental highlighter. Things that make salvation probationary. That's not the gospel. And every time somebody tries to make your salvation, your acceptance before the Father, in the Son, probationary. In other words, dependent on the things that I do. Yeah, or not do. Yeah, Behave right. myself. Yeah, omission right. or commission. Then uh, you simply say, He is risen. He is risen. I don't have to listen to that. His, my justification is grounded in the fact that God raised Christ from the dead. And I'm in him, I'm in union with him, therefore I am justified. Amen. Amen. Okay, great study. Thank you. Thank you.